Father, I thank you that you have uh, revealed these things to babes and, uh, and hidden them from the wise, uh, that there's so many in our world who have no clue what is going on, uh, what the future holds and what heaven is going to be like, uh, what resurrection means. God, I pray that we would be, as your children, we would be uh, ready to sit in your lap this morning and learn from you wonderful things about heaven, about eternity. I pray that we would believe with simple hearts your truth. And God, I pray that we would be excited about the next phase of our life, the, the real uh, existence that we will have for eternity with you. God, speak to our hearts today, we ask. And I pray that as we come into your presence, Lord, you would wash away our sins with the great, wonderful power and preciousness of your blood. It is sufficient to wash away all our sins of yesterday and this week and our entire life. And Lord, we put a claim on that blood. We claim that it is for us. We believe it for us. And we thank you directly and specifically for forgiving us. We ask you to forgive us and make us new and make us right in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many people in this world have had super strange and wild ideas about what heaven was going to be like. Um, you know, in the ancient Egyptian book of the dead, there was, it was full of tales of, of, of the afterlife, what it was going to be like. Um, in the tomb of Pharaoh, uh, Cheops, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, he died about 5,000 years ago. Um, they built him a solar boat that was designed to carry him through the heavens in eternity. Um, they certainly thought a lot about uh, what they were going to pack in their suitcases in those tombs in ancient Egypt. Uh, they really believed in an afterlife. The ancient Greeks uh, were often buried with a coin in their mouths. And this was to pay their fare to cross the river Styx into the land of the dead. Um, some Native Americans were buried with their bows and arrows and even their ponies uh, so that they would be ready to hunt when they arrived at the happy hunting ground. And ancient Vikings believed in a place called Valhalla where they believed they would fight all day and that was heaven for them. Um, they believed that the dead would be raised and the wounded would be healed every evening and they could just fight again every day, day after day. They were very excited about fighting. And then they would feast and drink beer every night and then go out and fight again the next day. Sounds kind of fun. Well, uh, the Muslims also have a fun, uh, they, they look forward to their version of heaven where they get every kind of sensual and physical pleasure uh, that can be in, they can indulge in throughout all of eternity. And even in our day today, nearly all you know, non-Christian cults and religions hold some sort of view of life after death. So a lot of people think a lot about heaven and the future, and, and a lot of people say a lot of things, a lot of people write a lot of things, so who's right? Well, probably the guy who's from there. That's what I would say. The guy who lived there, the guy who lives there currently, is there and has given us his statements on what heaven is like. So we're going to see today what Jesus has to say about heavenly relationships and what heaven is like. 
So we're starting in Mark chapter 12, verse 18 is where we start. Mark 12, 18. It says, Then some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him. I said the word resurrection very strangely right there. Let me try that again. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him. All right, so this is the last week of Jesus' life, and everybody is taking a shot at him, right? He's about to be killed. They don't know that, but Jesus knows that, and he's spending all day, every day, in the temple, just right there telling everybody everything they need to know. He's presenting himself as God in the flesh, the Messiah. He's already claimed to be the king, and and everybody is taking their shots at him. And, and we had the Pharisees and scribes and the Herodians last week. This week, we have the Sadducees. So who are the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees were the elite ruling class in Israel. They were rich. They were all rich. They were in control of nearly everything. They appointed the priests. They were in control. They liked being in control, and they were rich, and they liked being rich. And they didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in angels or any spiritual beings. They didn't believe in anything like the resurrection or... uh, anything besides what they could see and feel in this world. And and as far as the Bible went, they rejected all of the Bible except the first five books, the books of Moses. But even in those books, they didn't believe in the supernatural elements of them. They thought they were just stories and they they used them to control the people that they were uh, in charge of. So some people have made the silly joke. Uh, they didn't believe in heaven and that's why they were sad, you see they were Sadducees. So, funny joke. Sadducees. Okay. I had to do it. You know, you have to do it every time you talk about the Sadducees. Okay. Basically, these guys, the Sadducees, they lived for this life alone. Their philosophy, if they had one, would be eat, sleep, and party for tomorrow we die and nothing really matters. Nothing really matters. There is no judgment in their mind. There's no consequences. It's just my life now, so I'm going to gain as much power as I can in this world. I'm going to do anything I want, anything that's pleasurable, anything that's fun, and it doesn't matter if it's ethical or godly or righteous because there is no consequences. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live because God won't judge me anyways because there's no resurrection That's what's so sad about what they believe. They believe there was no resurrection. In fact, they think it's silly or stupid or nuts to believe in life after death. And they mock people who believe in life after death. Only crazy religious nuts believe God will judge our lives. No one can judge me. In fact, they would go as far to say, you can't even know for sure if God is is real. You can't even know for sure that God is even real. So these worldly guys want to challenge Jesus. So they come up, they're going to come up with a question uh, that they think will win a logical argument with Jesus. They really want to, um, to prove their philosophy is right and his philosophy must be wrong because we know there's no such thing as God or resurrection or miracles or angels. And so Jesus has to be just a normal man and we're going to prove it. We're going to prove it to everybody. We're going to embarrass him with this question. So look at what they do. So they asked him saying, 
Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring. And the second took her, and then he died, and he left no offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven all had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, because <laughs> they're laughing about it. When they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. Okay. So you have this story. They make up this random story. These were not real people. They make it up. And uh, it's, you know, the, one guy gets married to a brother. He dies. And, and this was called in the Old Testament, the Leverite Law. And it, it, was a, it was a law that was put in place by God to protect a family. Because basically, the way that it worked back then is your, your possessions and your land passed to your son, your, your, your descendants. And that's what it was a social protection to protect families, even if they were weak and poor from losing everything that they had. So it was a way of taking care of people who uh, needed help was that a brother would raise up a child that would be get credit and, and kind of live for the dead brother that, that died. So um, so you have this made up story that this old brother uh, dies and then the woman marries the next one and then he dies and she marries the next one and then he dies. And, you know, my first question when I think about this is, what is she cooking these husbands? You know, I would kind of check, maybe start checking the soup before, you know, with the dog, like give him a couple of the uh, sips of the soup beforehand to see if they would um, see if the dog was safe, you know. But all joking aside, um, it was very important, uh, this law, for the way that the world worked back then. Um, and so what the what they're saying here to Jesus is they're saying that they think they think God's rules are stupid and they don't want to follow them and they don't think it makes sense to do what God says. Uh, number one, uh, in their world, might makes right. It's almost like they're Darwinistic evolutionists that the strong survive. OK, so they're saying we're rich, we're strong, we don't need this law. So this law is stupid to take care of, of the poor people or people who are needy. Um, and they're also asking basically whose property will she be in heaven and what does it benefit us to do what God asks? Well, Jesus, let's read how Jesus answers. He answered and said to them, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? Jesus is so awesome here. Um, he just shuts them down. He says, you guys are mistaken. You are wrong. And here are the two reasons why you are wrong. Number one reason is you don't know the scriptures. That's what he said. In other words, guys, you don't read your Bibles. And if you do read your Bibles, you don't believe them. And they already admitted that. Uh, so what are we learning from this? Just read your Bibles, read your Bibles, and it will make you wise. You will be able to understand things. You will be, you will be able to know how God thinks and feels about things. They didn't know what the Bible said because they didn't read it. Uh, and also because they had already made up their mind that it wasn't true. 
These guys aren't fair. They're not investigating the word of God to see if it's actually true. And the same is happening in the world today. There's so many people that have already made up their mind that the Bible is just a hoax or the Bible is just a bunch of stories written by men. And they've already decided because they heard someone they think was smart or someone they want to believe uh, say that. But they haven't investigated because the truth is anyone who sincerely investigates will come away and decide that the Bible is true. It is the word of God and we will be judged by the contents of it and the creator of it. That's what you will decide. If you come with an open mind and with scientific investigation, you will determine that the Bible is true and has the words of everlasting life. But they had already made it up, made up their minds. The truth was there. But they wanted to live in a world where they can believe whatever they want without having to be bothered by this silly little thing called truth or consequences. They don't want to be bothered by that. They want to sin with no consequences. They want to do whatever they want to do and just pretend like God's not watching, God's not taking account, and God's not writing down a list of every single thing going on in their life and every single thing that they've done, even though he is. It's very important for us to understand. Their worldview has, has become more evolved today. People still have this exact same worldview and we call it relativism. They're saying, you can't really know what's true. You can't believe that God is true. And all of God's laws and rules, they don't really make sense to us. And we don't even really know if God is there. And so I'm going to pick what's true for me and you can decide what's true for you because truth is relative. And that philosophy, Jesus just shuts down as easy as uh, he can by saying, you don't know the scriptures. The truth is there. The scriptures contain all the answers to all your questions, guys. If you dig, if you search, if you seek, if you knock, the door will be opened. You can know the Lord. You can know what is going on. You can know his word and his answers, but you don't. They weren't even searching out. So that was their, his first answer to them is that you don't know the scriptures. The first reason why they were mistaken in the way that they were believing. The second way is that they did not know the power of God. First way, you don't know the scriptures. Second, you don't know the power of God. So their other problem, according to Jesus, is that they think God is weak. They don't know who God is. They think God either doesn't care about what they're doing, he's not keeping track, or he's not strong enough to watch and pay attention, and he's not powerful enough to see what everybody's doing, and that his patience that he's showing today is a sign of weakness, that he can't do anything. The truth is, God is being very patient today. He is patient. Man, I got a fly buzzing around my head. I don't know why. Bothering me. They don't know who God is. They don't know about him. They have all these misconceptions about him. Our goal is to know who God is. That's why he's given us the scriptures, as we just talked about. But to know who he is, to know his power and his personality. In fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he said, Yet indeed I count all things loss. For the excellence, and that term means the surpassing value of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He would lose everything just to be able to know Jesus, to really know him, to know his power and his personality and his character. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. 
Paul says, I don't care about anything. In fact, I, I compare everything with knowing Jesus and everything I think is rubbish compared to knowing him. But the word rubbish, we all know, is the word refuse, which is a polite way of saying doo-doo. That's what Paul thought. Everything in the world was rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. In other words, he would shovel all of it away as long as he can know Jesus. It is the most important thing in the life of a believer. It's, an important, it's the most important thing in the life of any human being. But we can only know God truly through his one and only son who reveals him to us. That's how we gain Christ. We trust in him and then he reveals all of God to us. So what is Jesus saying that what Jesus is saying is that knowing God is very connected to the resurrection, the resurrection. That's their problem, right? They, they have a problem, these Sadducees, with the resurrection. And they don't believe that they're going to live again. They don't believe there's going to be any consequences for the way they live their life. But Jesus says, if you want to know me, if you want to know God, if you want to understand scriptures, then you got to understand that there is something called the resurrection. And we can look at this a couple different ways, and we're going to look at it. We're going to see both ways here in just a minute. The first way that we can understand this resurrection idea is that it's important to understand what heaven's going to be like in the future, okay? And we'll, we're going to look at that first. But secondly, and we'll close with this, it's important to live a resurrection life now. We'll get to that at the end. Here's Jesus' response to the Sadducees. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You, therefore, are greatly mistaken. Jesus says, you guys are really, really, really messed up. You are really wrong. You are greatly mistaken. And look what Jesus does. He uses the word of God that they believed in, this burning bush passage, and he shows us as he uses the word of God to teach that all of God's truth is in the word of God. We just need to look. We just need to search it out and believe what it says. So issue number one that Jesus brings up about heaven, things that they need to understand about heaven, is that there we will have bodies in heaven, okay? Uh, but our bodies in heaven will be different in the, in the way that a tree is different from the acorn that's planted in the ground. So the body you have now is like the seed, and the body you will have then will be like the tree. So, and it says, we won't be angels, but we will be, our bodies will be like angels, which means there will be no marriage, there will be no reproduction, uh, there's going to be only perfect relationships in heaven. Uh, marriage, he's saying, is only necessary for this life. It's only a picture and a type for this reality that we live in now. The second issue that we see here. So first is that we get new bodies, they're glorified bodies, and uh, so they're going to be different than what we have now. Issue number two, humans are eternal. Humans will live forever. All humans, good, bad, and neither. They will all live forever. There is an afterlife. There is a judgment. There is life after death. 
And look what it says here. It says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all living with God. These three guys who made dozens and hundreds and thousands of mistakes, and we see all their failures in the book of Genesis. I mean, terrible things. Killing, hating, adultery, lying, stealing, the whole deal. They did all of it. And yet, when they died, because they had faith in God, they are seen as friends of God, abiding with God, staying with God, living with God after their death. All things have been taken care of. There are other people that die, that die God's enemies. We have this choice. We can either live with him as his friends or die as his enemies. But either way, you will be in that state forever. Your choice of whether you're going to be his friend or be his enemy will last forever. And you don't know when your forever will begin because your forever might start now. You could have a brain aneurysm as I'm talking. You can die of boredom in this Bible study. You could get hit by a car. You don't know when you're forever. So you better make, be sure that you have made the decision you're comfortable with. Are you going to be God's friend forever or are you going to be God's enemy forever? Either way, that forever decision needs to be made now. Make your choice. And the choice is simple. Do you accept what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross? Or do you want to go at your own way? Do you reject him and what he did for you? Dying on the cross as a substitute for your sin. Or do you want to pay for your sin on your own? If that's the case, the only future for that choice is an eternity as the enemy of God abiding in the only place created for his enemies, which is hell. You make the choice. Heaven, friend of God, hell, enemy of God. All right, issue number three. You are, uh, sorry, you are still you in heaven. You are still you in heaven. You will always be you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God knew them. They, they were still themselves. They don't get absorbed into the collective Borg mind. They are simply themselves. You will still be known as you in heaven. You're going to retain all your individuality. The way God made you on this world, you will still be that way. The things that make you unique and wonderful, the gifts that God's given you, your physical appearance may change, but it will still say who you are. You see, we get a glimpse of this when Moses appears in the Mount, Moses and Elijah both appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah already have their glorified bodies and they all appear there and everybody knows who they are. In fact, you're going to be known better. You're going to be recognized. It's going to be truly you. Those who die in Jesus lose nothing of themselves, but they become a better glorified version of of who they were really meant to be. And yes, you are going to know all your loved ones in heaven. You're going to know your family. You're going to know your spouse. You're going to know all your kids. Uh, number one reason for that, you're not going to be dumber in heaven than you are here. So number one, you're not dumber in heaven. You're going to know everything you knew here, but you're going to know that everybody perfectly. All their weaknesses and all their failures will be washed away if they're a believer and you will know them as they were designed to be in perfection. 
again, we said that we're going to learn a few things about heaven and then a few things about the earthly reality that we can live a resurrection life now. So the resurrection in heaven, we're going to get these new glorified bodies. They're going to be, they're going to be um, like angels. They're going to be perfect. I don't know. Maybe we'll fly, probably fly. It seems like angels can fly. Um, you know, all, all these things we, we know about heaven. There's not going to be marriage. Um, all relationships are going to be perfect. So there's never going to be jealousy or anger or disappointment. Everything is absolutely perfect. We've learned about heaven that uh, we will live forever in the state that we decide in this life. This life is the decision-making process. Are we going to choose Jesus or not? And the third issue is we retain our identity in heaven. Now, let's briefly talk about the second way we can think about this lesson today, that it's important to live a resurrected life today. I have a quote here from Major Ian Thomas. He's a great author, uh, wrote uh, The Saving Life of Christ, which I highly, highly recommend as a book. Uh, But he wrote this. So here's a quote. To be in Christ, that is redemption. So to be saved, right? But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. So to be saved or to be redeemed, we need to be in Christ. That's when we believe that his death and um, on the cross was required to forgive me of all my sins. That's how I get in Christ. When I believe that and I ask him for it, I claim, I, I grab it by faith, say, your death on the cross was for me, Jesus. You're in Christ then. But to be transformed, for me to grow in Christ and to be transformed into a godly man now, to have resurrection life now, it needs to be Christ in us because Christ rose from the dead. So his death forgives us and washes us in a way, but his life, the resurrection life that Jesus showed us when he rose from the dead and he lived with his disciples for 40 days and then he went on up into heaven and he lives in heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's preparing a place for us and he's praying for us and he's deeply involved in our lives and all that life that he's living right now and all the fruit that he can produce is available to us today just like his death is for us his life is for us also to be transformed Christ needs to be in us we are in Christ but our relationship is deeper because Christ is also in us. How does that work? We abide in him. We delight in him. We read his word. We chew on his word. We savor his word. God has given all of his son to you. He's provided a perfect relationship with himself. God himself has been provided to you through Jesus. There's nothing you need to earn to get any more of Jesus. It's a free gift of grace for everyone and anyone. This is how we can be delivered from sin, not just from the penalty of sin. That's what his death did. But we, every single one of us can be delivered, can be set free from the power of sin in our lives by his living resurrection life that we can take with us today. How do we do that? We talk about it all the time. His resurrection life is the new covenant promise to you. And all you need to get it is to humble yourself and ask for it. Say, Jesus, I need your life. I need it. I humble myself and I, by faith, I ask you for it. And I believe that you will give it to me. 
That's how you were forgiven. And it's the same way that we live daily. We get filled up with it. We fill up our cup every day by letting his work on the cross get poured into our empty cup. We empty ourselves out each morning saying, God, I cannot live the life that you expected. I cannot do these things on my own. I can't be a husband, a father. I can't do any of your work, your ministry. I can't preach your gospel in my own strength. I need you. And so that empties our cup. And then we fill it up with remembering what he did, meditating on his what he did on the cross and his new life, his resurrection life. We chew on it. And as we spend time with him every day, our lives are filled with his life. We are animated. We are like an empty glove. And each morning as we abide in Christ, his hand enters that glove, fills it up, and animates us and strengthens us to do his will. You see, here's the crazy thing. Our lives now and in heaven are about one thing, growing in understanding and appreciating all that Jesus has lovingly provided for us. And I got this verse that you just have to hear. This verse that teaches us this and is so amazing. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? In the ages to come. You know, a lot of, that's the heavenly ages. And a lot of people really struggle with what are we going to be doing in heaven? What are we going to be spending our time? Are, is it really going to be boring? Are we going to be just sitting on a cloud playing harps, you know? But if, no, it's not. It's going to be an ever deepening relationship with a God who saved you and has provided, provided all of his life to you. And how deep is the life of God? The life of God is infinitely deep. It, it, it never ends in its complexity and its goodness and its glory, its weight. And you get a front row seat. No, you get to even experience this life, tasting it and seeing that he is good. And for all of eternity, you are going to have this privileged life of being able to spend time with him and growing in a deepening relationship with him where he is your father and you are his son. And that's the depth and greatness of heaven. I like when I'm talking to kids about this, I like explaining it like this. It's like a video game, but a video game that has infinite levels and the levels are constantly better every single time that you go through it. They constantly get better. Kids like that one. In the ages to come, he will show us the exceeding riches of his grace. His grace. He desires to give us all that we need. And in heaven, that doesn't stop. He will always provide everything that we need. So what is heaven going to be like? It's going to be a lot like a life now that can be lived through humble dependence upon Jesus. He will be everything for us. He will be our very life. And he will... And it will be joy beyond joy. That's what heaven will be like. I would love to hear your questions and comments. So send me a message this week. You can send me a text. You can send me, you can send me an email. You can get in touch with me on Facebook or any way that you want with anything going on. You are loved 
and your life matters. The Sadducees had a very sad existence where they just thought they could um, do whatever they wanted and that following God and choosing Jesus didn't make sense to them and it wasn't worth their while. And your life matters. It is worth your while to choose Christ today. And I encourage you, let everything else go. Consider everything else rubbish except your relationship with Christ. Seek him in the morning. He's more important than your sleep. He's more important than your whole life. Your relationship with him is life. Let it be what is designed to be. Be his child. Let him be your father. And you will see that he is so good. You will taste and see things uh, in his goodness and faithfulness that you would never otherwise know. This great way has been provided for us through the precious blood of Jesus and his resurrection life. So we're going to close now just giving thanks to you, Father, for this resurrection life that you've given us. You have, you have loved us when we were unlovable, when we were running from you, and all the times that we have failed, you have done everything for us. We worship you in your grace, and we desire to grow and learn about your grace more every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope to see you guys soon. Goodbye.